Happy Valentine's Day. What a wonderful time to gather to worship our Savior and to be thankful for the blessings of life. Looking at a passage of Scripture that gives us such a perfect picture of the love of Christ for us, yet it was written about a group of Christians in Philippi who couldn't get along with one another. They had their differences. Instead of working to proclaim the gospel, uh, they got frustrated with each other. Paul wanted the church to, to seek humility and be like Jesus. And so he paints for us the most perfect picture. He makes for us the most beautiful recipe of the love of, of God through Jesus Christ. And I want to look at this and think about this because so often on Valentine's Day we, we celebrate love in such a, uh, an amazing way as we look to those that, that we love. But let's look at one who loved us and why he loved us. It says, Jesus was in the very nature of God before his birth in Bethlehem. Jesus had been in heaven and with every advantage of being holy. Everything there was perfect. They were with the ones that they loved. He was boundless, timeless, and limitless in his love and their expression of love for one another. But John 1.3 says, All things were made by him, and without him was nothing made that was made. God was knowledgeable of everything in creation. Jesus was aware of that. I want you to think about this today. Every rock, plant, and planet were created by Jesus. He never saw anything on earth that was new or odd to him. That's why Jesus' question was so powerful when he looked at the disciples and he said, Who do you say that I am? Because Jesus came to earth not as a picture of love, not as an expression of love, but as love. Total and absolute love for us. Jesus was not just another prophet. He was not another rabbi showing up. No, he wasn't just another miracle worker. He was God. He was the one that searchers had been looking for, for for hundreds of years. The prophets proclaimed, and everyone talked about, Yahweh in the flesh, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. That's who He was. Yet He came in such a, a meek and mild way. Many people missed Him. But then again, isn't that what love really is? My mother, one time when I was young, and we were looking out the window of our bedroom on our backyard, and it was a beautiful spring day. And uh, those of you that are 40 and under, just ignore this. We had hoop rugs over hardwood floors. And my dad would roll them up every Saturday morning, take them out, hang them over uh, our clothesline. Now, I'll explain clothesline to the young, younger folks later. But, and he would be out there beating away at those rugs. And my mother, I'll never forget, looking out there, my brother said, what's daddy doing? And she said, he's showing how much he loves me. And I had no idea what that meant. I thought, you know, 
Is that what you, you do to express love? Yes, it is. It's the things that, that are mundane and simple, the things you don't understand. Jesus came into the world not as a king, but as a servant because he loved us. He wanted us to be able to access him. It's hard to get in touch with a king or a ruler. You have to be somebody important to draw their attention, but as, as the choir so beautifully sang, he knows our name, and he knows everything about us, and he loves us. Remember this, that, that Jesus fulfilled the commandments and reversed the curse for us. You know, I look back over the history of the so-called uh, gods that people worship, and I, I, I wanted to make a list of things about them. Buddha never claimed to be God, nowhere in his writings. Moses never claimed to be Jehovah. Mohammed never claimed to be Allah. Yet Jesus Christ claimed to be the true and the living God. Buddha simply said, I am a teacher in search of the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. Confucius said, I never claim to be holy, but Jesus says, who convicts me of sin? I am holy. Mohammed said, unless God throws his cloak of mercy over me, I have no hope. And I'll agree with that. But Jesus said, unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. Jesus, in his humble nature, spoke truth to us, and that's what love does in an amazing way. This Jesus is the Christ that God spoke of to the serpent in the garden. It's the Christ proclaimed to Abraham, the Christ guaranteed to Moses before he died, the Christ promised to David when he was king, the Christ revealed to Isaiah as the suffering servant. The Christ predicted through the prophets and prepared for through John the Baptist. This same Christ. Now I want to talk about that recipe for a few minutes because a recipe for love is very important. Uh, I can't always agree with the Pillsbury Doughboy because he thought love was something that you, you took out of the oven that smelled wonderful. No, love is something greater than that. The recipe begins with one part that is very special. It's a part of Jesus' loves and what He gave up to come to us. It's not just what He brought for us, but it's what He gave up to be here. He is more loving, more holy, more wonderful than, than anybody can think possible. But Paul's words in Philippians... Talk about the Creator. Let's talk about how He shed so much to come here and be with us. The One who made everything made Himself nothing. Christ made Himself small. Had He have come in His glory, we would be absorbed. For our sin would cause us to be destroyed. Jesus himself put it this way, Fear not him that can destroy the body, but he that can destroy the body and the soul. The holiness of God before the sinfulness of man would cause us to be consumed. And we would cease to exist. But Jesus in his love for us came to earth 
in a very simple fashion. He made himself dependent on a human body. Now think about that. He was willing to give up his divine existence, his omnipresence. And he put himself into a human body. He experienced something he had not experienced before, hunger and thirst. He went through all the troubles of growing up just like all of us, yet he was full of joy and happiness. When he confronted each struggle in life, he made the correct choice in the flesh. When he wept for Jerusalem, his tears were real, just as when we weep. When he asked, how long must I put up with you? His frustration was honest with the disciples that seemed to always get it wrong. When he cried out from the cross, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He called for an answer. Just as many times in our frustration, we call for an answer. Jesus took the very nature of a servant. He became like us so that He could serve us. Think about that. Now the second part of this recipe is is what He brought with Him. It's not what He set aside, but what He brought with Him. He entered the world to display His love and affection for us. He cared about us. He didn't just write us a letter or send a messenger. The incarnation is that He came in the flesh for us. That always matters. Who comes to you when you're weakest and saddest and in the most pain, that is the person that truly loves you. The emptiness of our frustration and the agony of of being alone is so destructive. Yet Jesus said, I will not leave you alone. I will come for you. You matter to me. He entered the world to display His love and affection, but Jesus did not view His equality with God as something to be used for His own advantage. Do you understand what He's saying there? Even though He was God fully and man fully, He didn't ever take advantage of that to remove Himself from a situation that was unpleasant or to do something. That he just want, he, he never just disappeared or walked away from those who were abusing him and hated him. No. He only used his godliness to make life better for those round about him. But he only did it out of wisdom. He could have waved his hand and healed everybody at once. There's a reason why he said. Lazarus come forth, because if he'd said come forth, every dead person would have walked out of the grave. But he didn't do that. There was a purpose in the decisions that he made. He had an aim. He wanted to draw those to him that would love him, that were seekers of truth. He gave this advantage to us. Jesus did not view his equality that way. He, he, he did everything to help us. When, Jesus, when people mocked him, he didn't return the insults. Not at all. When he was called crazy, he didn't strike them blind. Have you ever done that little thing where if, if, you, could, if you could have 
all power like God for 10 minutes, what would you do? When you get through thinking that through, you understand really why God never gave you that authority. Because it would all be focused on you and your frustrations and your anxiety. Jesus never did that. Everything was done for us. How He loves us is amazing. He became obedient to death. You know, crucifixion was the cruelest execution possible. In the 20th and 21st centuries, we've seeked ways to execute people in the least painful way. Yet they were seeking pain and suffering. The victim was tortured and whipped and nailed to a beam of wood. They were left naked and bloody. They were a public spectacle. It was the most horrible way to be executed. He became a public example of how society treats what they consider evildoers. I remind you of this. The Roman government was as mixed up about right and wrong as our government is today. They didn't understand truth. Pilate asked, what is truth? He didn't ask that because he was testing anybody. He didn't know. His own wife could see what he as a ruler couldn't see. You see, you don't see God through the eyes of education or power or influence. You only see Him humbly when you kneel and close your eyes. And in your heart, you see the God that changed this world. Jesus was on that cross, and trust me, those three nails didn't hold Him there. It was love that held Him there. He bore the shame. He exalted His Father in the final breath. And He did the work that, that changed us. Do you realize the very reason that, that, that red is, is considered such an important color on Valentine's Day, such as these red roses or the red boxes of those wonderful chocolates you'll be eating today? That red is not symbolic of, of our heart, but the heart of Jesus. The passion that He gave to give us a reason to love one another. That made the difference. Remember this, Jesus came from heaven's crown to Bethlehem's cradle, to Golgotha's cross, because He loved us. He loved us. It is one thing for Christ to enter the womb, it's another thing for Him to go into the tomb. But thirdly, I want to mention the crowning achievement in this recipe is what He did last. The essential part of love is what He now does and what He will do for you eventually. The tomb couldn't hold him. And that's what's so remarkable about that. The tomb couldn't hold him. But he had to go into the tomb and come out so you wouldn't have to fear death. One of the most frightening things to people today, it's not public speaking, it's not trying to swim in the ocean, it's, it's not skydiving, it's dying. That little three and a half by seven and a half foot, eight foot deep hole, terrifies more people than anything you can imagine. Death moves upon all people, rich and poor, educated and ignorant, of all cultures and 
every civilization around the world, and they all fear death. And only one person ever went in the grave and came back. Jesus Christ. He did not do that because he wanted to prove he could do it. He did it for us so we would not be fearful. So we could overcome that fright of death and do great things in this life. Many people today, though they're living, they're not really living because they stay focused on death all of their life. I've had funerals where I buried a man who had died and his wife should have been buried with him because she gave up on life. Life ended at that point for her. Sometimes we do that. We feel like our, our sole purpose in life involves what we do humanly speaking. As a spouse, as a parent, as a grandparent. But no, those things are part of your life, but they don't encapsulate your entire life. Your life, very plainly said, is to be lived to glorify God and to exalt Him always in whatever you're doing, in whatever condition you find yourself in. You can glorify God. As a friend of mine said, as he lay in a bed with a ventilator down his throat, the only thing he asked the doctors was, he said, don't give me so much propofol that I'm not conscious enough to pray. And they said, but it'll be painful. He said, no, it won't. It'll be a pleasure to be able to pray to my God for 20 hours a day. And he did for six and a half weeks. He told me that was the most powerful part of his life. And he said, I realize now the very purpose of that accident was to bring me close to him because he came out of that hospital a new person because he understood the love of God and what it had done for him. So many of us forget that. We don't realize what God has done for us. The essential part of that love is what he's doing now, and what he will do. Remember this, the one who went low is now high. The one who descended is now exalted. Jesus outranks every ruler and conqueror that has ever lived. Now think about that. I, I tried to understand a little bit about sitting on a throne, and right now Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father on the throne of God. He is sitting there. And our prayers are moving to Him through the work of the Holy Spirit. That is so important. That means that Jesus is in a position of authority to make a difference in our lives. The greatest love message you can have today is that He loves you. He cares for you. He hears you. And he makes a difference for your life even now. I remember when Tutankhamun's grave was opened up and they began to bring out all the relics. What an incredible thing for a young man to be the ruler of an empire like Egypt. And how powerful he was. His throne was encrusted with rare jewels. It, it is priceless. It is worth millions upon millions of dollars. 
He died so young, yet he ruled such a powerful nation. The royal throne of Achan said to have been made by Charlemagne himself by slabs of marble that were brought from the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. It's said to be worth over $45 million. Charlemagne sat there and ruled as a godly ruler. Edward I's coronation chair at Westminster Abbey, I've seen it. It's known as St. Edward's chair. Underneath the chair that is encrusted with gold and, and more beautiful than anything you can imagine is a very old, ancient stone that came from Scotland. It was the scone upon which rulers would sit and rule going back over 1,400 years. Elizabeth II became queen in 1953. Some of you in this room remember that. Her coronation chair was simple because she believed that the focus should be not on the throne but on the ruler. But of all of this and all the beauty of this and the power I want to remind you this. Jesus occupies the only true throne in the universe. All others have died and have been lost and have been destroyed and have been overtaken. But His throne will last forever. John 18.36 tells us, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. What did the disciples miss when he said that? Why did they not understand it was greater and larger than the Roman Empire? And in Daniel, the prophet said, in, in chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, it says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom shall never be destroyed. Daniel saw that. God opened the windows of eternity, and showed him something so miraculous. And all the children of Israel knew what Daniel saw. Yet they quit looking for that. You know, our conduct never produces God's love in us, but God's love produces good conduct in us. Meaning, you need to be good today. Because this is a time for you to celebrate what God has given I grew up in a church that was an independent Baptist church and we had our own missions conferences and our missionaries came to us. We didn't just read about them or hear about them or look at pictures. We met them. They would come home and stay on furlough. Sometimes they would stay with us. My, my parents hosted over a period of years many missionaries in our home. And I know that because we had two bedrooms and that meant my brother and I had to sleep somewhere else. We gave up our bedroom. But it was always amazing to meet these missionaries. And, and one family we met were missionaries in New Guinea. And they told us a story about the festivals and the, uh, the things that would go on there. And they told us this story that in, in one area of New Guinea, there was a, a tribe that would practice 
this strange ritual. It says that they would work themselves into a frenzy and a ritual would culminate in which was called murder songs. And what they would do, they'd shout out before their God the names of the people they wished to kill. Now think about that. They became Christians over a period of 15 years, the whole tribe. And yet they didn't want to let go of all their traditions, so they continued to have this dance, and they would dance into a frenzy. But you know what they'd do? They would shout out the sins that they wanted God to help them to overcome. And the chief, who was the first to become a Christian, said this. He said, we are considering going to this dance not once a year, but four times a year because, he said, after the dance, the people become more holy and more focused. The folks that, the missionaries that stayed in our house, Dr. David Sweat told us this. He said what those natives didn't understand was what they were doing was called a revival. And I wonder if we've forgotten what that's all about. Revival is not for the lost, it's, it's for the saved. It's focused on God's people so that we would revive. You can't revive what's dead. If you're alive, you can be revived. Yet we've forgotten how to revive ourselves. And no greater time could we find that revival in our hearts than today, Valentine's Day. A day to celebrate love. But as you celebrate your love for one another, don't forget the deep, deep love of Jesus that compels us in such an unusual way to be more than we've ever been before because of what Jesus has done that no one else could do. Let us pray. Father, I thank You that You give to us in Your Holy Word a desire to be more than we've ever been. Not to accept mediocrity. Not to simply go with the flow. No, Lord, you want us to reach our full potential. For our goal is not to be the best we can be, but to be like your son Jesus. That is our goal that you've given to us. And Father, I pray right now that we would find in our hearts a desire to be faithful to you. Not just to be faithful servants, but faithful in our worship in every way. God, help us to be people who are changed. And that on this Valentine's Day, we could find the truth that we'll never be able to love someone until we understand the love you have for us. And we begin to love you. Father, speak to someone today who in their heart of hearts realizes that they have a decision to make. Possibly today's the day of salvation. They've not accepted that gift, and they need to. Or this is an opportunity for them to come and join the church and be a part of brothers and sisters who are striving and seeking to do God's will in this place one step at a time. Or possibly you simply need to come to the altar and pray. May this be a time of prayer and commitment for someone, even now. For we pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.